Luke chapter number 15, and I'm going to read a little bit lengthy passage here. I want to talk about the prodigal son here a little bit. Um, it's been on my mind the last few days. The story was mentioned during camp, and it's been uh, kind of on my mind uh, since then. So I just want to share with you a few few quick thoughts on this. Luke 15, and I'm going to read a lengthy passage here, but beginning there in Luke 15, verse number 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth me. And he divided unto him his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants, and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured the living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. I just got some thoughts here as we go through here. You know, it's amazing the power of this story, of all the stories that Christ told, and he would do this. He could have just told you God's loving and forgiving, but is that any more powerful than the, the picture of this story? It's so powerful. And part of the way this is so powerful, it's even changed the definition of a word. We call this the story of the prodigal son. If you were to get out a dictionary and look up the word prodigal, it probably does not mean what you think it means. We talk about a prodigal as being one that goes off, who goes astray. Well, that's the prodigal son, they came back home. You know, We, we, we use it in that kind of uh, language. But the word actually means to spend money unwisely. Prodigality is the term, prodigality. 
And th this actually, when you talk about the prodigal son, we're talking about the son who went and wasted all his, not just the son who went astray, but it's the son that went and spent all his money. But this, 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 the imagery is so powerful that we've actually redefined the word based on the story. It's very interesting. But here is this story. It's one that we can relate to. We can see. You may have seen these similar things in your life and in your family. But a man has two sons. There's an older brother who's very faithful. He's stayed true. He, he does what he's supposed to. And then there's the younger brother. This younger brother, though, he's, uh, he's got some wanderlust to him. He sees the things of this world beyond the bounds of the family farm, and he wants to go have a piece of that. He wants to live it up. Now, what he asks for here, I, I think our culture might miss. Because what he does is he goes to his father and says, Father, I want my inheritance. I want what I would get when you're dead. I want my share. And in that type of culture, this is as good as if going to your father and saying, Father, I wish you were dead. I, I wish you were gone. I, I just, I want the money. I don't want you. I want the money. That's how harsh this statement would be. I think we miss that. We just think, he's like, oh, I just want some money to go have fun. It's very, very rude, very biting what he says to his father. Another thing that he does here, I'll point out, is he asks for his share. Note it does not say half. He does not get half. He gets one-third. If you didn't know this, Jewish inheritance laws state that the oldest son gets an extra portion. So instead of this being divided two ways, it's divided three. And the oldest son gets a double portion. Two-thirds would go to the oldest son one-third to the youngest. If you don't believe me, Deuteronomy 21.17. I'm not going to turn there for the sake of time. Deuteronomy 21.17 talks about this. I can give you references on that and show you this. But that's the way the Jewish inheritance laws work. But this man, he goes, and by the way, we're talking about Jew here in the promised land, in the holy land. He's in that place God had brought the Jews and given to them specially. And probably on this land that had been passed down from generations from Joshua on down to the kingdom period under David and Solomon. And probably when his family came back from uh, the captivity, they'd resettle. There's a long history. This isn't just any piece of land. It's not just any farm. This is a long history and heritage that's tied in this. But he's not satisfied with what God gave him. He's not satisfied with the blessings passed down for generation to generation. No, he looks over and says, boy, over there in that far country. That's like saying, you know, I'm not happy here in Texas. I want what Las Vegas has. I want what, uh, th that's a similar kind of thinking. I want what they've got way off over there. I want to live it up. They're having fun over there. So he takes that money that his dad gives him. He goes off. He spends it all. The better details are kind of given by the older brother. But uh, he, he just, he lives it up. He has fun. He, 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 he just indulges in everything that this world has to offer until the money runs out. By the way, sin has a high price. 
it'll bankrupt you. It'll kill. I told you last week. I think it was talking about sin. Sin's a deadly poison, not just killing our soul, condemning us to hell, but it is a poison that destroys us. He spends all his money. The famine comes in. Hard times come. Say what? Isn't it amazing when you have the hard times come? Aren't you glad that you've got a rock you can run to? Aren't you glad you've got a Savior you can run to? Aren't you glad you don't have to face that on your own? You don't have to do it on your own? Well, here he is. He doesn't have that. He doesn't have a father to lean on. He doesn't have an older brother to go to. He's in this far land. He's, he's wasted everything. And all those people who he thought were his friends, where are they now? They're gone. Friends, we've all had friends like that in our life. They get what they can get, then they disappear. They've done that to him. They've left him alone. The best he can do is to get a job with the guy there. He said, I grew up on a farm. I can work for a farmer. I know what's going on. This guy hires him. Note what he's hired to do, though. To send him into the, to his fields to feed swine. Well, a lot of us, I remember having pigs growing up. I think we named them bacon and sausage, and uh, we we... We named our cows hamburger and <laughs> stuff like that. Anyway, but I remember us having pigs. I hated going back there. Smelly, nasty. I, I never really did like them. I mean, they're, they're cute, sort of, not really. But uh, I never did like going back there, feeding them and things. It just it stunk. I didn't like going back there. Well, it's not just that they're unpleasant necessarily to be around. The fact is, these animals were something a Jew was not supposed to be around. They're unclean. He's not supposed to be around these type of animals. He's, this is not just degrading as a human being, but for a Jew, this is about as low, showing how far he has come uh, from keeping the customs and the commandments and the traditions that he has grown up with. And I can imagine Jesus telling this story to all these gathered Jews. They get these things. These are things we not, may not pick up in our modern mind, but those guys Whoa, pigs? Oh my goodness, I, I, I can't believe he had to feed pigs. I would never stoop so low. That's the kind of thing that's going through their minds. And there he is. What does he have to eat? <laughs> the slop. The leftovers. By the way, I did a study once of husks there. It talks about, they say it's probably like these little bean pods that grow on trees. And they're pretty much worthless as far as food goes. Humans really don't eat them, but they'll grow them and feed them to, uh, to these animals. Just they've got very little nutritional value to them whatsoever. And I always picture him reaching down. Can you imagine reaching down, being so hungry, you scoop up a big old handful of slop. Of You know, <laughs> we were talking about this the other day at the house you hear these stories about people eating dog food and things like that i've never seen i don't even know if anybody's really ever done that i'm sure somebody has but you hear those stories about that how low would you have to go to go down i'm thinking about Peppa. <laughs> funny story my great granddad uh one time at my grandma's house they had a uh, bowl with some dog treats uh schnossages wasn't it uh, and uh, my, my great-granddad didn't know what they were. He reached over a bit into one. Nobody had the heart to tell him what he was eating. <laughs> uh, anyway, how do we go? But talk about, talk about, you know, eating dog food. I mean, well, can you imagine you're so hungry that you're eating what the pigs eat? That's how low this man has gone. 
finally, what does he do? He comes to his senses. Like I said, I picture him getting a big old scoop full of that, putting it up to his mouth, and it's just about to touch his lips. And he says, what am I doing? What have I done? If I just go back, my father, my father's servants have it better than this. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to confess I've sinned against heaven and against thee. What he did was against all the commandments of man, the commandments of God, against the culture, the tradition, the reverence that was due to his, his father. And he says, I don't even want to be a son anymore. Just make me one of the servants. I'll live as a slave on the back part of the property, but it will be better than where I'm at now. He goes back to his father, and I love that scene there in verse number 20. As he's coming, the father sees him coming down the road. And what does the father do? He doesn't go lock the gate. He doesn't go run and hide. That's what I do when I see people coming up. I go run and hide. What does he do? He goes running out to meet him. Grabs him, hugs him, kisses him, welcomes him back. I don't think that's what he expected. He expected vengeance. He expected retribution from his father. That's not what he received. And he begins to give his spill. I like this. In verse 21, he begins to give his spill. Father, I've sinned. I'm, I'm not worthy to be your son. And he doesn't get to finish. Compare what he says to what he in the previous verses. He never gets to go into the, oh, I'll be his. It, the father, I think, interrupts him before he can finish his spill here. And he calls out, bring the best robe. Whose was that, by the way? Who had the best robe? It was probably the father's his robe he says go get it put it on my son this is my that's identification this is my son he says go give the ring well that's not just passing on a gift back then rings and they dig these things up all the time a lot of times the rings have little uh, uh, signets in them that they would take and they would mark you know put wax down and put that uh, symbol of that ring and that was a, as good as a signature uh, as a seal the in the in the ancient world so it's a symbol of authority. It's a symbol of acceptance back into the family. They said, get this guy some shoes. Slaves, by the way, did not wear shoes. They didn't waste money on shoes for slaves. So they're already elevating him up here in that. Then they, here's the best part. They say, let's have a barbecue. That's in the Texas version. <laughs> they said, let's have a barbecue. We've got a calf. We've been fattening up. We've been having it up. And we, we used to do that back on the dairy. We'd get them up, pin them up, and you feed them full of feed. Man, you get them good and fat, and then you eat them. It's wonderful. And, uh, but but, but it says, we've got this. We've been preparing this. Let's have a party. Let's have a party. By the way, back then, nowadays, you know, you, you, you could raise a calf. You can slaughter it and go up to Munster up there, get them to slaughter it or somewhere else. We always took them up to Munster. Take them up there, and you go and get all your uh, your steaks and your and your hamburger meat, and you take it and put it in your deep freeze, and you're set for a while. That's not how it worked in the ancient days. Once they killed that thing, they had to eat it. <laughs> you couldn't preserve it. So this means party time because we've got a bunch of meat. We've got hundreds of pounds of beef. we got to eat right now. Don't you? Couldn't you just make your mouth water? We need to hurry up and get out here and eat. So here's this celebration that begins. There's music. There's dancing. That dancing is like a, like folk dancing. This is not just, uh, a, it's very different nowadays. I mean, this is a communal celebration. 
of what is taking place, that the son has returned home. And by the way, when we tell this story today, we usually focus on the prodigal son, the son that went away, came back, and there's a wonderful picture in that. I, I remember hearing a Southern Gospel song uh, years ago that said, what about the prodigal's father? So, well, we don't talk enough about the father. But the real point of this story is actually the elder son. The whole point of this story is the reaction of the elder son. Why? Because if you actually go back to the first part of the chapter, in, in uh, ch- uh, chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Then drew near unto him Christ all the publicans and sinners, all these social outcasts, these pariahs in the community. They are being drawn in to come to Christ. In verse 2 it says, And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man eateth with, with, eateth with sinners and you know, receiveth them. He eats with them. Uh, they're, they're grumbling. Like, well, if he knew who was important, he'd have us over, right? Uh, we're, the, we're the important ones. This whole parable, because right here, boy, he's played this up, and I'm going to tell you, there's probably some of these guys have had this happen to them. This has tugged at their heartstrings in this story. And it's still amazing. 2,000 years ago, this still will, I mean, this will bring tears to your eyes just thinking about this story. It is a powerful story. And then now here comes the little jab, because what Christ is doing here is getting to this point. The older brother, he says, what's going on? Oh, your brother's home. I didn't, nobody's ever stolen a celebration from me. It's not fair. He whines as well. Dad, I've, I've been here. I haven't left. I didn't waste all your money. I didn't waste the family farm. I didn't do all this stuff. He says, oh, I should have been... I should have been treated better. You notice he doesn't even go to the house. He doesn't want to be part of the celebration. <laughs> In fact, he sits back, talk about, uh, what's that word, sold up like a, like a toad frog kind of, uh, kind of thing. He's, he's sitting back there and he's, I'm not going up there. They have to come to him. The father has to come to him to work this out. I mean, he's throwing, he's throwing a pity party, a temper tantrum. He's being a big baby in all this. And by the way, the actions of his brother affected him not one iota. His brother coming back didn't mean that they resplit the estate. He still had the two-thirds of the estate. It was still his. All this is is he got his little feelings hurt in this. And there's that self-righteous tone there in verse 29. These many years I served thee, and you know, I didn't transgress. I want to have fun with my friends, but you don't let me. Uh, it's, it's so self-righteous in this tone that he has. Then the father responds in verse 31 and says, Son, thou art ever with me. He says, you're safe. It doesn't matter. Your reward, your place, your heritage, it, it's all good. Because your brother messed up doesn't mean anything with yours is affected. You are safe and you are secure. And then he says in verse 32, and by the way, it's right that we should have celebrated because your brother was dead. He was dead to us. We hadn't heard from him. He was gone off far away. And now he's back. Why shouldn't we celebrate? Not that the money's gone, not that all the scandal that this may have caused at his parting, but let's celebrate he came back. What 
what was more important than the farm? What was more important than that son, that relationship? Now I want to kind of bring this all down to us. I told you I'm not going to be very long. The younger son, I think, is first and foremost a picture of the sinner that rejects God. You look at verse number one again. Who's he talking about? Well, there's all these public. The publicans, by the way, these were Jewish turncoats. They were working for the enemy. These were people working for the Roman government. Uh, can you imagine, if you will, you know, if America, um, as patriotic stuff, we are, let's let's say Canada. Not going to happen. But if Canada comes down and, and conquers us, what would you think about if your neighbor started working for the Canadian government? Like, whoa, no, no, you don't do that. We're we got to, that's, that's what, imagine like in France, in World War II, when occupied France, when Germany's there, what, what did the French people do to their neighbors who started working with the Germans? Uh, you know, they're turncoats, they're traitors, uh, they're, they're Judases, they're uh, Benedict Arnold's. Uh, we, we heap scorn on these type of people. That's, in Jewish society, that's what they did. Ah, oh, these people, they shouldn't have worked with the Romans so you have the publicans, and you have sinners. By the way, sinners, that is a very specific term. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. But these are those people given to a lifestyle of sin, completely uh, ensnared by sin. What did this fellow do, that, that prodigal son? Why, he squandered the blessings of God. Did you know, think about this, this morning, the sun came up, it's a beautiful day out there, it didn't just happen for the children of God. It happened for everybody. Realize out there, there are millions, billions of people who had a good breakfast, who had a nice place to sleep, got plenty to... Uh, God's... There's a theological term for this. It's called prevenient grace. I think I'm saying that right. And it's a grace of God that's poured out even on the lost. That God can be good even to the lost. By the way, it's something to draw in. And that's what the deal is here, is this son, he had it good. All that stuff should have made him love his father, to love his heritage. But he rejected it all. I'll tell you what, if you die and go to hell, it's, you had to go over, crawl over a lot of roadblocks that God puts in your way to show you his love. He tries to show the fact that the sun comes up declares the glory of God. The fact that there are blessings and there's good. Well, you don't know what happened in my life. Uh, yeah, I do know that there is a God that has been good to you. Yet, he didn't praise God. Yet, he sought his own excitement. Finally, when he's flat on his back, he looks up. You know, God has to do that to us sometimes. The only time we look up is when we're flat on our back. He has to humble us. Oh, and let me tell you this too. By the way, that's how salvation works. Salvation isn't, uh, oh, let me add Jesus to my collection. Salvation is, God, I cannot do it at all. I'm completely trusting in you. We call that repentance, the change of mind that takes place. I'm no longer trusting myself, my works, my righteousness. I'm trusting fully in Him. The return is a good thing. If there's a hero in this story, uh, I tell you what, the prodigal's a pretty good hero. He came back. He came back. A lot of folks don't get that chance. A lot of folks don't ever come to their senses. They would have sat there in their pride and ate the pig slop before they came back home. But he came back. That's a good lesson. You can come back. 
There's the Father. That's a great representation of God. We talked about that a little bit last week, that God is the Father. He allows us a free will to even make stupid decisions. <laughs> he allows us to make mistakes. Now, He may not erase the scars and the wounds that sin may leave, but I love that He's waiting. He's watching. He's saying, come back, come back, come back, come back. And by the way, what does the Bible say? It says there's rejoicing in heaven for when a sinner repents. You see that little, you see a little glimpse of heaven right here. There's a celebration going on because a sinner repented. Because that one who had disgraced his family, that one who had spit in the face of his father, if you will, had come home. What did he deserve? He deserved a good taking behind the woodshed. He deserved to be thrown out. He deserved anything they gave to him. But what did his father give him? He gave him grace and mercy. Wrapped him, wrapped him up in his arms. Gave him all the... By the way, gave him a coat. What does God give? God gives us... We're clothed in his righteousness. Not our own, but in his righteousness. He gives us that. The ring, the authority. He gives us, a, he gives us power. He gives us... A, a place where we're made joint heirs with Christ. Uh, the fatted calf, hey, we got a lot of stuff waiting ahead of us. There's a celebration. There's good times for the child of God ahead. But then there's that third figure, the eldest son. That's the self-righteous Christian. We have to be careful. If there's a warning in this, it's don't be that guy. He focuses only on his own works. He focuses only on the evil of the other person. He, you know what? He didn't see, oh my goodness, my, my brother. Look at the change of heart. Look at the humility. Look how he got, got his mind back and came home. He didn't celebrate that decision. All he could think about was the dollar signs. All he could think about was how his father had been betrayed. All he could think about was, well, I would never do that. You know, I'm better than my, my, my little brother. All these things, he focuses on all the wrong things. By the way, when the Bible talks about, you know, talking about the splinter in the other guy's eye and the beam in your own eye and all that kind of stuff, that's what is going on right here. He's critical of his brother. The person who really needed to get right with God in this case is this older brother. He's despondent when someone else gets attention. By the way, when it comes to Christianity, hey, I'll, I, I want to be able to praise along with anybody the goodness of God. It doesn't have to be about me. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't even have to. This will be our church, man. I'm, I'm glad to hear great things going on in other places. Let's all celebrate God. Because by the way, it's not about us. He gets the glory. He is the one that should get all the attention. Oh, they did. Nobody took a picture of me painting a picture at camp. They did actually it made it in the video. But <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I was like, well, they, they didn't recognize me. Who cares? Who cares? We focus on ourselves. It's not about us. It's about God. And by the way, he tries to claim the glory from others for himself. That celebration for his little brother. He's trying to say, well, this should be about me. I I deserve that. I deserve that. A lot of pride. A lot of pride in this guy's heart. Three simple questions here this morning. I told you it's going to be short. Three simple questions. Musicians, y'all go ahead and come up here. I'll be very brief. There's three people in this story. First off, I want to ask, are you like the prodigal that needs to come home? Are you like the prodigal that needs to come home? 
You've wasted the grace, the mercy of God. And you need to come back to Him. You need to come to Him in all the humility. Come back to that loving Father. Maybe there's somebody here that's like that. Maybe somebody watching online. Maybe somebody needs to come. By the way, and I'll take this there. I know that talks about sinner, but there's a lot of Christians that get off too that need to come back. That need to come back too. But are you like the prodigal? Second, are you like the father who longs for and celebrates the prodigal's return? You celebrate what happens. You, you understand the miracle that just took place there? That was a miracle. A change of heart. The greatest miracle in this world is salvation of a lost soul. We celebrate that. Do we long for it? Are we watching for it like the Father? And third, are you like the elder son? I hope and pray not. Let us not be self-righteous and bitter and no, I don't like these new people coming out. I'm glad these people are coming to church, but no, no, they're not my type. You know, All these kind of things. Don't be that guy. That's the whole point of the story. We often we cut it off before we get to the part that's really supposed to be there. The moral of the story of the prodigal son is don't be the older brother. Don't be the older brother. I pray this morning we don't have that in our hearts. Let us have the heart of the prodigal to go back to God. Let us have the the heart of the Father who welcomes in. Let us not have the heart of the older brother. Take stock this morning as we stand for a time of invitation. What number there, Owen? 108 in the Heavenly Highways for the invitation hymn if you want to sing along. Let's pray and we'll have a time of invitation. Heavenly Father, very simple message, very simple thoughts this morning. Just thinking about this story, this this powerful story, it is so amazing. All the books and movies and and things that come out today, and and this story that's two thousand years old, uh, still just seems to beat anything that you'll ever hear. The power of the story of the one who went astray, who came back, who was welcomed in, and Lord, there hiding in the corner is the one that we really don't need to be like. Lord, let us learn from this. Let us have the heart of the prodigal to come back to you in spite of our mistakes, but to repent, to humble ourselves before you and come back. Let us be like the Father and welcome those in, celebrate those who come to you. And Lord, let us not have the heart of that older brother. Lord, a lot of tremendous powerful lessons in this old familiar story let us apply them to our hearts and lives here this morning challenge us with these simple thoughts i pray and most importantly lord if somebody's here this morning watching online listening to this sometime in the future if they don't know you as savior that they would come back to you repenting of their sins trusting fully in your love and grace and that you are there welcome not there to judge but there to welcome them in if they will come back to you. Speak to us now in this invitation time. I pray in thy holy name. Amen.